The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Tesla, SpaceX, The Boring Company, and now Twitter. Elon Musk adding another corporate feather to his cap. Questions on the future of the platform and the industry remain. In China, new concern over a stealth COVID outbreak in Beijing. That is that city scrambling to avoid any Shanghai-style lockdowns. Officials calling the situation grave. A live report on deck. A big day for big tech. Peak earnings season underway. Google and Microsoft kicking off the party today. About 30% of the S&P 500 reports this week. Cut down to size. Wall Street coming off a big oil beatdown. Saw some of the majors lose 6% in a single session. Our next guest says more pain is likely to come. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says he is just getting warmed up in his fight with Disney. Round two could be just weeks away. It is Tuesday, April 26th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us once again. Let us dive right in on this busy Tuesday and see how stocks are shaping up. Futures? Well, they are lower right now. The good news is they're not lower by that much. They're all off about, man, not even less than two-tenths of 1%. But we are not seeing any follow-through buying after Monday's big reversal. All the major averages were down much of the day, some big, before buyers stepped in. And we ended higher across the board. The NASDAQ 100 had the largest swing and ended up with gains of more than 1.3%. But if the selling is not over and the markets overall keep going down, you need to start watching some key technical levels. Matt Maley saying in a note that if the S&P 500 does go below its March low, the next support level on the S&P would be about 3,800. That's about 10% lower than it is right now. Well, bonds getting a bid as stocks fell most of Monday. Ten-year yields holding steady from where they were yesterday, right at 2.81%. And if you are kind of hoping for a Fed to the rescue this week, it is not going to happen. There are no Fed speakers all week long because of the blackout period ahead of next week's Fed meeting. Now to crude oil, it is lower once again this morning. Oil got absolutely walloped most of Monday. It also reversed. Crude is just above 97 bucks a barrel here. Brent crude at 101.30. Despite oil's turn with the markets on Monday, oil stocks still ended down big. In fact, most ETFs, most big names, were down either between 3 or even 6% on Monday. And in crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether actually going higher this morning. Bitcoin stands at 40500 and change. Right around the world, a rebound underway in Asia despite more COVID lockdown concerns. This after China's central bank pledged to help that economy by keeping monetary policy loose. Europe They're just getting their day started. A lot more green on the screen there than here. Juliana Tottlebaum is standing by in London with more on both. Good morning, Juliana. 
Brian, good morning. Well, here in Europe, it feels as though we're sort of one step behind Wall Street. Yesterday, European markets closed up shop before that late stage rally. So European equities closed the day sharply lower. Now this morning, we've got green across the board, but it feels as though it's a bit of a catch up trade. The gains pretty broad based. As for Asian markets, we did see a pretty healthy rebound overnight. So perhaps that positive sentiment is part of the reason we're seeing the rally in European stocks. So let me take you to the Chinese markets. Part of the reason we saw a rally in China overnight is that China's central bank said it will step up monetary policy support to the real economy, including small companies that are most at risk of potential COVID impact. The PBOC says it will keep liquidity reasonably ample amid the uncertainty. Um, And here's a picture for you. It was a mixed trading session, but we do have some green on the board for the Hang Seng up about 0.3%. There is one banking stock that's been in focus um, in the Asian session and uh, here during the European trading session. That's HSBC. The bank has reported a 27% fall in first quarter profit, which came in at $4.2 billion. Europe's largest lender maintained a positive outlook despite the slowdown in Hong Kong impacting revenues. Hong Kong, the bank's biggest market, a crucial factor for earnings. And as you can see here, it was a very tough, difficult session for HSBC overnight, dropping about 4%. And now the UK listing down about 3.5%. Brian, back over to you. Juliana, thank you very much. All right, now let's get to this morning's top global story and one that has been dominating the conversations lately on both Wall Street and, of course, right here in the media. That is Twitter's board accepting Elon Musk's $44 billion buyout offer. But a lot of questions still remain. Savannah Hanau is here now with more on what we know and the story that everybody in the media loves to talk about, Savannah, because the media loves to talk about nothing more than the media. That's right, Brian. (laughs) Well, Twitter's board agreeing to sell the social media company to Elon Musk after initially gearing up to fight the takeover attempt. The deal values Twitter at $54.20 a share. That's a roughly 38 percent premium on Twitter's April 1st closing price, which was the final trading date before Musk disclosed he had taken a 9 percent stake in the company. Musk says he's lined up $25.5 billion in financing from Morgan Stanley and other lenders and is prepared to kick in the remaining $21 billion out of his own pocket. On the news of the deal, Twitter's founder and former CEO Jack Dorsey praising Musk and the board for the decision. In a series of tweets, quote, Twitter as a company has always been my sole issue and my biggest regret. It has been owned by Wall Street and the ad model. Taking it back from Wall Street is the correct first step. Dorsey adding, Elon is the singular solution I trust. I trust his mission to extend the light of consciousness. Others a bit more critical, including Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, posing a question over China's outsized influence on Tesla's success and therefore Elon Musk's bottom line. Quote, did the Chinese government just gain a bit of leverage over the town square? Bezos adding, however, that, quote, Musk is extremely good at navigating this kind of complexity. For its part, China's foreign ministry says there is no basis for speculation that Beijing could use leverage over Tesla to influence content on Twitter. And Brian Twitter reports quarterly results this Thursday, so we'll keep an eye on those. And a lot of people speculating based on these deal that those numbers could be ugly. We'll see, though. We'll see. We'll see. Savannah now, thank you very much. All right. Take care. All right. Now to a bigger story about humanity coming out of China. Concerns about more covid cases in Beijing and the possibility of more crippling lockdowns. It's time for China's capital. This is people there begin to hoard food. 
out of concern they will not be able to leave their homes. Eunice Yoon joining us now from Beijing. Eunice, what is the status of the capital city right now? Well, Brian, a pop-up COVID centers like the one behind me are on nearly every single block here in the Chinese capital. And this is after Beijing had announced it is expanding its mass COVID testing program to include 90 percent of its 21 million population. The plan is to test nearly everyone here three times by the end of the week. The authorities have said that the Omicron variant has been stealthily spreading for the past week in the city, and they have been able to confirm 32 cases and one asymptomatic case from yesterday. Now, outside of one lockdown area, as well as a couple of closed off buildings, the city has now closed off non-essential venues. That would include entertainment, theaters, uh, sports venues, as well as after-school training. Most schools, though, remain open. Now, even so, Beijing is urging its residents not to travel over the upcoming May Day holiday, which happens this weekend, um, and also to take a lot of precautions. State media says that those precautions are needed to ensure that Beijing does not suffer a, a Shanghai-style lockdown. The latest out of Shanghai is that that city has now imposed what it's described as hard isolation, and that is building up fences around buildings as well as other streets that have one positive case to ensure that people do not leave those areas. Now, there are some lessons, as you can imagine, being learned from Shanghai here in Beijing. You mentioned one of them, Brian, and that is people are still preparing for a lockdown, hoarding a whole lot of food. After the past several days, the, uh, the supermarket shelves have been empty. And in fact, I just went to a supermarket um, just in the past hour and they said that the eggs sold out right when they hit the right when they opened the doors at around nine o'clock in the morning within an hour. So people are nervous, even though the authorities here have been saying that the food supply here and the medicine supply is going to be much better than in Shanghai. Eunice, I've got about 100 questions for you. I wish we had all hour just on this story because this is a humanitarian, <laughs> humanitarian story. It's an economic story as well with lockdowns. But let's think about people first. A couple things. Uh, how does the testing work? If it's mandatory testing, I assume they're tracking people. Uh, what if you don't get tested? What happens? Do you, does somebody come and knock on your door? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, all of that. Right now, it's not very clear, which is adding to the fear factor, because in theory, the test is compulsory. So people have to go. And when the announcement came over the weekend, everyone thought, OK, this means that everybody has to go three times this week. But it looks as though it's going district by district, building by building. So it's not very clear as to whether or not you have to go and yeah. when. And also, there are some situations where people are getting... Uh, knocks on the door late at night yesterday, being told they have to go right away. Other people haven't been informed at all. So it's not very consistent at this moment, but those centers are all over the place here in the, in the city. We're trying to manage more than 20 million people in Beijing, 26 or so million in Shanghai. It's also happening in a few other more mid-sized cities around China. Um, you talked about these, this, quote, hard lockdown. Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting term, and I know there's things you cannot say. Eunice, if somebody puts a fence around your building and locks your door from the outside, I think many people in the Western world might call that imprisonment. Yeah, and there are people in Shanghai who've also 
um, used uh, similar language to describe their situation. Um, a lot of people have been asking the question as to whether or not this is a fire hazard. There have been um, several videos that have popped up online of people shouting at the uh, workers who are setting up the fencing from their balconies. Um, other people who um, have actually pushed back and t torn down some of the fencing because they've been so angry at being penned in, especially because uh, there aren't that yeah. many cases in their building, even even if there are cases. So it's it's um, a quite a dramatic yeah. situation in Shanghai at the moment. I want our, and I know we got to go, but we got to talk. I want our viewers to understand what's going on. Eunice Yunus is showing us video of fences being built around apartment buildings because one person on the street tested positive. Eunice, I got the numbers from the China Daily, which is a state-owned paper, so trust them if you will. Mm -hmm. They show 1,923 confirmed cases. I mean, that's basically zero if you factor in the population, with about 16,000 being asymptomatic. That means that if these numbers are to be, be believed, only one in every eight cases is actually symptomatic. Deaths, thankfully, are very low. Hospitalizations, in some cases, are zero. Is there something we're not being or you're not being told about this version of COVID? You called it Omicron earlier. We know a lot more than two years ago. I guess what the questions that I'm getting from people is, why are these lockdowns so tough when the numbers are pretty good as far as outcomes? Is there something the world needs, is this some new variant we don't know about that's more dangerous? It doesn't appear to be, but it, it, the, the response does not seem lined up with what we know medically. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, there are a lot of people here asking very similar questions uh, because uh, there is more of a fear at this point of being locked down than there, ear, than there is of actually catching the Omicron variant. Um, what we're worried about here now in Beijing is that um, yeah. the uh, the numbers that I had cited to you, the 31 cases and then the one asymptomatic case that was reported from yesterday, that was before the numbers of this first mass testing um, had begun. So um, we're expecting that the asymptomatic yeah. cases could be a lot higher uh, b based on the fact that so many more people are now yeah. being tested. And so that's really going to determine yeah. just how stringent the lockdowns become over the next several days and it's not just there if you, you if you test a thousand people on the streets here in new york or new jersey randomly you're going to get some people that test positive that aren't even aware that they have the virus we just we just know that now from testing unishun we're glad to see you outside we hope to see you continuously outside <laughs> best to you we love you we're thinking about you uh, a scary time there Eunice. thank you very much Think about that, folks. Somebody puts up a barrier around your apartment because one person on the street tested positive asymptomatically. All right, we've got a lot to do this morning. When we come back, maybe some good news and why one CEO says inflation relief could be just months away. Plus, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signaling his fight with Disney only getting started. And later on, what Twitter's takeover could mean for the rest of the social space. A very busy hour still ahead. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories that are happening right now. Shares of Universal Health Services sinking ahead of the open. The hospital operator's latest earnings falling short of estimates as higher wages took a big chunk out of the top line. UHS says salaries, wages, benefits rising 13% from a year ago. It's good for the workers. Whirlpool says it is handling inflationary pressures and is starting to see supply chain shortages ease a bit. CEO Mark Bitzer telling Jim last night on Mad Money that while his company has been able to navigate inflation, industry shortages will likely last through the rest of the year. Whirlpool shares are higher right now despite a first quarter miss. And get this, investment firm Newberger Berman says that it will vote against the management of Berkshire Hathaway, that company's annual meeting on April 30th. Firm also says it will support two key shareholder proposals related to climate change and diversity initiatives. This marks the third year that Newberger is pre-announcing its votes. Wow. All right, back now to the broader markets, gearing up for a busy day, a busy week of earnings, including the kickoff. Of big tech results, Microsoft and Alphabet are out after the bell. We'll also get results from the likes of UPS, General Motors, and Visa today. It will really be more about the outlooks from these companies as more and more warn about growing headwinds in the months ahead. For more now, let's bring in Greg Hahn. He is President and Chief Investment Officer at Winthrop Capital Management. Greg, good to have you. Uh, how morning, closely, Brian. if at all, by the way, and if you're not, just tell us, how closely are you watching earnings and guidance this week? We're, we're watching them pretty close. We're, we're axed in a couple of these names, including Microsoft and Google, which are both in our portfolios. What do you want to hear them say about the future? Valuations have come down, but have they come down enough to meet reduced expectations? Right. And we'll never we'll never be able to pick the bottom. But for names that have solid business models and Microsoft and Google both fit that um, that 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 factor that the answer is yes we will continue to add to them we've got room in the portfolio to add to those positions you can brian you can pick up microsoft right now if it's 10 bucks a share on earnings it's 28 times earnings that's down from 32 33 times earnings last year i mean it's we've got some value there for for a stock that's growing and it's got a solid business model with recurring revenue and and the same with google there there are traps well there. just because come down yeah, just because it's come down right. doesn't mean it's good value, right? That is that value trap. Well, the valuations come down five points. Well, if their business is slowing more than that, then the valuation will come back in line to where it was. So you still see some some traps and things to be wary of out there, Greg. There are some traps. So um, just just as an example, we are we are not in retail. Um, we're very, very careful in healthcare. We still have some defense um, for obvious reasons. Lockheed's in the portfolio, but, but in the real estate, in the REIT section of the portfolio, 
Um, I think we've narrowed it down now for two two different holdings. One's in data storage, and the other one is multifamily. We're just not broadly broadly invested across the sector. And Brian, I'll admit it, cash is a bigger part of our asset allocation. And and until we kind of get through the summer, uh, it's going to be a bigger part of the, the asset allocation. Hey, what's wrong with cash at this point? If you just own the S and P five hundred ETF. You're down what you know, twelve or whatever more percent this year. If you own cash, you're down zero. Well, right. a little more than that. With the obviously with inflation, it's going to eat the value of that cash. I get it. Do we need yeah. to start? And I can't even believe I'm saying this, Greg. Do we need to start talking about things like tips, Treasury inflation protected <laughs> securities, municipal bonds? I mean, is this where we are? So yes, in part, uh, we are not in tips. We do not think uh, tips right now aren't, aren't working the way that they should. They're not adjusting with the rate of inflation. So the total return on the tips part of the portfolio with respect to where we're seeing inflation at eight and a half percent on a trailing 12 month basis, the tips are, 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 are not there. It's those are negative returns that we were seeing on the income side, though. Yeah, municipal bonds are absolutely part of the portfolio. And we're moving out the curve in 10 year corporates, triple B corporates. You can earn four almost four and a half percent. So if, if investors that are income oriented consider shifting the portfolio and moving out the curve just a little bit, you're, you'll pick up yield and it's it's meaningful now. It's not like, you know, the 230, 250 that we we're seeing last last year. Yeah. Hey, the other it feels thing, like Brian, four and a half percent. Go ahead. Stay away from leverage. So there's a trap in our industry with closed end funds. So closed end funds use leverage it works on the way when, when, when markets are rallying. It also works opposite. So be careful with, uh, with using vehicles in portfolios that have um, some, some leverage to them right now because they're, they're going to they're gonna get hurt. Well said. Even if they are below that net asset value, which some people say, oh, it's below the NAV. Let's buy it. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> be careful. On closed-end funds are a whole different beast, maybe a whole different show. Exactly. So uh, it feels like 4.5% is the new 20%. Greg Hahn of Winthrop Capital. Greg, thank you very much. (laughs) Take care. All right, still on deck. Could your company retirement plan soon be stocks, bonds, cash, and Bitcoin? Uh, Some of you may soon be able to add a little bit of crypto to your 401k. Not another top trending story. Wex returns right after this. Futures right now. They are down, not by much, about two-tenths of one percent, oil off a bit. We're back right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See Center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back. Let's step outside the world of money and business for a moment and check on some of this morning's other key headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with those. Good morning, Francis. Brian, good morning. As Russia's war in Ukraine enters day 62, attacks in the eastern part of the country have intensified. The British government believes some 15,000 Russian troops have been killed since Moscow launched its invasion two months ago. Today, the U.S. will host Ukraine defense talks in Germany. According to officials, the focus will be on arming Kyiv so it can defend 
defend against Russia's new onslaught in the east. A bipartisan group of senators will meet today to talk about measures to prevent stolen elections. The effort is centered on changing the 1887 Electoral Count Act, which associates of former President Trump sought to exploit to overturn his defeat in the 2020 election. Luka Doncic had the Jazz defense playing all the wrong notes during a pivotal Game 5. He finished with 33 points, and the Mavs get the dominant win, 102-77. to The Raptors clawed back in a do-or-die. Pascal Siakam led Toronto with 23 points, and the 76ers could not respond. The Raptors lived to play another day, winning Game 5, 103 88. And the Celtics sweep in Brooklyn. Despite a 39-point game from Kevin Durant, the Nets' fourth-quarter comeback fell short. Boston won it 116-112. to For Tuesday morning, Brian, got you covered with those headlines. And the dismal era for New York City basketball simply rolls on. Francis, thank you very much. <laughs> sure At least thing. the Nets made the playoffs, I guess. All right, ahead. If stocks volatility is not enough to make you seasick lately, don't worry. We're going to bring you a little optimism. We've got Tom Lee's five reasons to be bullish coming up. We'll be right back. The Monday melts up, looking like it could fizzle out. Futures, they are lower once again. But Fund Threats Tom Lee, he's finding some optimism in this turbulent market. It's five reasons to be bullish ahead. Done deal. Twitter going private. And now belongs to Elon Musk. But what does the deal mean for all the other social and tech stocks? And Florida's governor looking to keep up his campaign against Disney, reportedly suggesting he is just getting started. It is Tuesday, April 26th. And this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CBC. All right, welcome and welcome back and good Tuesday morning, everybody. It is 531 here on the East Coast. Thanks for joining us. Here's how the markets and your money are looking right now. Futures, eh, they're not following through with the buying that we had in yesterday afternoon. We are seeing futures lower across the board. Again, not by much. Dow futures off just under 100. NASDAQ futures off about two-tenths of 1%. But... That red on the screen all comes after Monday's big reversal, where, of course, the major averages were down much of the day before a bundle of buyers stepped in. And we actually ended higher, one of the bigger turnarounds that we had seen in a while. As stocks did that, bonds got a bid. In fact, 10-year yields actually moved down a bit. They're right now exactly where they were at this time yesterday, at 2.8%. Oil got absolutely leveled most of Monday before also plowing its way back up. Pretty much ended the day flat. Right now, crude oil down 1% to 97.50. Crude oil stocks, though, they got walloped. A lot of big names at one point were down more than 10% yesterday. They ended a little better, but still down 5 or 6% for many of the biggest majors. So it's clear there's a lot of negativity and worry out in the markets right now. So just wait to hear what we have for you coming up in the RBI. So we, we got to balance out some of the bad with some optimism. So here you go. Fundstrat's Tom Lee laying out a note for a possible bull case for stocks. Here is Tom's sort of five-point bull case for stock optimism. He said, number one, historically Thursday to Friday sell-offs like we had last week end up bouncing on Tuesday. Tuesday turnaround, maybe it's not looking like it now, but it's early. Is inflation peaking? Maybe. Starting to hear some comments about that. We got that PCE inflation data due out on Friday. That'll be widely watched. The stock buyback window, this is a big deal. Companies right now, because of earnings, 
cannot buy back their own stocks. There's not that organic buyer from their own corporations in the market. That window reopens April 29th, this Friday. So could corporate buybacks be that buyer, the marginal buyer that sends stocks higher? The J.P. Morgan bond team says the bond market is near what Tom calls max hawkish. And Tom Lee's fifth point, FANG stocks looking more like value, meaning their valuations have come down. Then maybe they actually get put in some of the value indexes. So that is the five point case for stocks. You agree with Tom? Disagree? Yeah, Tom has been bullish for a while and he's been he's been wrong about some parts of his market calls. And by the way, he'll admit that he admitted on a closing bell overtime last night. But he has been right on with his call on energy, even with the recent slide. He is way up since first recommending things like the OIH and other oil and gas ETFs. So a five-point reason to be optimistic. And then you'll hear my RBI coming up and you realize that I'm going to take the other side. All right. Now to some key headlines happening right now. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is apparently suggesting he may take more action against Disney. During a press briefing yesterday, DeSantis calling the bill dissolving Disney's special district status a first step in making sure the company does not run its own government. The governor also rejecting the idea that Disney will be on the hook for nearly $1 billion in outstanding municipal debt. The Biden administration reversing a Trump-era plan allowing more oil and gas drilling in the Arctic. That plan would have allowed the government to lease more than two-thirds of the roughly 23-million-acre National Petroleum Reserve in Alaska for drilling. White House also reinstating some environmental protections for parts of that reserve. Of course, the administration faced a lot of criticism from environmental groups for its reversal and allowing more federal drilling, or drilling rather, on federal land. And Leo Brainerd moving one step closer to becoming the Federal Reserve's second-in-command. The Senate advancing her nomination for vice chair, clearing a procedural vote with several Republicans crossing party lines who support her nomination. The chamber appears to be on track to confirm Brainerd as soon as the end of this week. So congrats. All right, now to this morning's big money mover, one version, that is Twitter. The board accepting Elon Musk's offer to take the company private for about $44 billion or $54.20 per share. That is a roughly 38% premium to Twitter's closing price on April 1st, right before Musk disclosed that he had bought a more than 9% stake in Twitter. Musk has lined up $25.5 billion in financing from Morgan Stanley and other lenders and is prepared to kick in the remaining $21 billion out of his own pocket. Joining us now is Richard Kramer, managing partner and senior analyst at Arite Research. Richard, listen, um, Twitter is, is honestly is not that big of a company. Uh, but it punches greatly above its weight in our industry, right? It is sort of a media darling. It's kind of a bullhorn megaphone distribution platform for people on my end of the camera or in the newspaper business, celebrities, et cetera. Is this story getting too much attention? Well, in terms of its position as a digital advertising play, absolutely. Because if you look in the past three years, uh, Snap added $3 billion of sales and Twitter added two. And really, it's been a very poor performing business. And in that similar time frame, Facebook added over $50 billion of digital ad sales. So it does get a lot of attention. But one thing that probably was missed out in the U.S., 
But over the weekend, uh, Europe passed the Digital Services Act, which basically says anything that is illegal offline is now should be illegal online. And one of the things, Brian, you and I talked about a, a few weeks ago was this notion of, of content moderation on Twitter, which doesn't happen that as much as it should. And a lot of the type of behavior that you see, uh, the sort of mob rule on Twitter, is simply, in Europe at least, going to be against yeah. the law. They have underinvested in that content moderation, uh, which I think many of you journalists, unfortunately, are on, on the wrong side of quite often. Well, it depends, right? Some would argue that the content moderation is heavier on one side than the other. People are talking about new platforms, et cetera. But does this deal, let's get back to the stock, because we could argue that point all day, Richard. Does this deal have any implications for the digital ad businesses of, of Amazon, for Google, which, to your point, are exponentially larger yeah. than Twitter? Yes, it, and it does. I think there's two simple implications, or three, actually. One is there's $44 billion of equity value in Twitter, which is going to go somewhere else. And that could be into other social media names like Snap or Pinterest or Facebook uh, as that as they revive their business. It could go into Google. It could go into smaller ad tech players. Second, uh, you have the staff at Twitter who are likely to, having cashed out their options on this sort of a deal, be picked apart by all of the rivals who, as we know, are aggressively hiring sales and engineering talent. And the third implication is that, you know, Twitter is not the number one platform for any advertiser. So this just opens up the, the budgets to go to newer platforms that can become interesting competitors yeah. like TikTok, Reddit and others. I want to move to earnings in a second, but I, we just got a tweet from Michael Novogratz. Of course, he's a billionaire. He's really a crypto entrepreneur, among other things, a private equity and venture capital guy in a previous life. So the hysteria, and I'm reading my computer, apologies, Richard, the hysteria around Elon Musk buying Twitter is unsettling. While his style may not be for everybody, he usually does what he says he's going to do. Give him a chance to remove the bots. And this is a big point, right? People don't realize if you're not on Twitter that so many of these accounts are fake. They kind of look real sometimes, but they're bots. They can amplify voices. Does the entire, and it's not just Twitter, does the entire tech world need sort of a cleansing of, of these artificial you know, manipulators, for lack of a better term, that do impact things. hundred percent, it does. And again, if you compare what Twitter is spending on content moderation, it's a drop yeah. in the ocean compared to the tens of thousands of people, the 30,000 people, I think, last count are working on this at Facebook or Meta, sorry, or the, the, the tremendous engineering talent devoted to this at Google. And there is just no escaping. If you want to get rid of all the bots, it's going to cost a lot of money. And if you want to open source the algorithm, yeah. it's basically going to be a, a free for all for all of the malicious actors that have been gaming that algorithm. Yeah. Well, this is a heck of a week. Let's move on to earnings very quickly. This is kind of a fun fact. In fact, I did not know this. I heard this yesterday on a network called CNBC. You might have heard about them. This is the first week, I think, ever or in a long time where, like, Apple, Amazon, a cue the music. Wow. <laughs> earnings Central. Grand Central next. Earnings Central after that. Baltimore's Penn Station. All right, Richard, it shocked me. Um, this is the first week that we've got all the biggest names reporting in the same week in a long time, if not ever. 
I mean, that's pretty amazing. What What is the one or two key things that is going to stand out to you the most? Well, look, I think when you look at that roster of companies up there and you think about what happened last week to Netflix, I think you're going to see a, a, a differentiation between the companies that are effectively running quasi-monopolies or duopolies in their businesses and those that face incipient competition. And you think about Netflix, well, they're competing against HBO and Apple and and, and Amazon and, and Disney and others for your time. But you think about a company like Apple, whose stock is is relatively uh, a tremendous outperformer this year, it has a kind of Coke-Pepsi duopoly in smartphones globally with Samsung. So this is a company that has a, a really a big moat around its business. It's very hard. There used to be a dozen players in smartphones. Now they're really just two. Uh, you, you're going to see a differentiation between the companies that have those monopoly or duopoly type positions and the companies that have kind of free-for-all competition. And I think investors are starting to yeah. look at the market and look for those companies that have the real barriers to entry around their, their business models. Yeah, they don't just have a moat. They got a moat. They got a castle. They got dudes with crossbows. They've got a dragon, and there's probably alligators in that moat because those those ad businesses seem pretty secure for now. Richard Kramer, really appreciate the views on Twitter and everything else. Thank you very much. And by the way, welcome to Earning Central. Grab a cup of coffee, find a business class seat. All right, coming up, your morning RBI and why a tough month for markets may not be letting up anytime soon. Some scary signals coming from many fund managers. That's ahead. But as we had to break, a couple of key headlines happening now. The Oracle of Omaha set to auction off one final lunch. Bids for the sit-down with Warren Buffett to raise money for charity will take place in June after a two-year hiatus. Sadly, this will be the last time Buffett will take part in the auction. And some 401ks may finally be entering the 21st century. Fidelity Investments saying it will allow investors to put Bitcoin into their 401k accounts. Seen as a big deal for the crypto. And that option may be coming to your 401k later this year. We are back right after this. All right, welcome or welcome back. Jeff Bezos weighing in on Elon Musk's deal to buy Twitter. Bezos tweeting late last night suggesting that China may gain influence over Twitter once the deal is done. Bezos wrote, quote, Did the Chinese government just gain a bit of leverage over the town square? End quote. Bezos appearing to hint it must ties to business through Tesla in China. Bad news on inflation. Roughly 40% of American small businesses say they plan to raise their prices by at least 10% going forward. That according to a new survey from the National Federation of Independent Businesses. And Apple has reportedly hired an anti-union law firm as part of its growing fight with retail workers in Atlanta. They filed for a union election at that firm. And the law firm, rather, Littler Mendelssohn, is known for high-profile clients like Starbucks, McDonald's, and Nissan. Watch that space. All right, time now for today's RBI. And once again, let us stay laser-focused on stocks and your money, because even with Monday's little market comeback, it has been a tough year for many investors out there. April has seen nearly every part of the market drop from tech to mid-cap to small-cap, now to even oil and gas. They're all down in what is historically the best month of the year for stocks. Remember that. And maybe it's because everybody was so negative coming into April. Now, we referenced it yesterday, but I think we need to take a closer look at the latest Bank of America fund manager survey because it's a bit of a tough read. B of A reports fund manager sentiment around global growth is at an all-time low. 
while financial market risks are near an all-time high. And that biggest risk is not Putin's war in Ukraine. That's actually ranked fourth now by fund managers surveyed by Bank of America. They said that a global recession is now the biggest risk with overly hawkish central banks a close second. All this could mean more tough times for stocks because look at this Bank of America chart. It goes back to 2008 and it shows that when investors get negative on global growth, they have a lower net equity allocation. Orange is the expectation for growth. Blue is the stocks they own. It makes sense. You're a fund manager. You think things are going to get worse around the world. So you own fewer assets exposed to the global economy. But it doesn't mean you don't own anything. In fact, Bank of America notes that if you are in the we are going into recession camp, there are two trades you might want to consider. Number one, you go long bonds, but you short commodities. Or two, you go long utilities and you short banks and big tech. Now, of course, always be very careful if you're betting against something, because if you're short, your losses are theoretically unlimited. Things can go up forever. And by the way, just because this survey lines up with our Twitter poll about a recession the other day, it does not mean it's going to be happening. Heck, the Fed or other Feds could suddenly turn back dovish. Plus, it's an election year. Anything is possible. So as the old gardening saying goes, April showers bring May flowers. Let's see if that is true for stocks as well, or if it just kind of keeps raining on the markets. Random, but hopefully interesting. All right, on deck, Grace Capital's Kate Faddis on why two really big, boring banks may be great buys for you right now. It's in two minutes, but a heads up, because in six days, we've got a special event coming your way. On Monday, we're going to live one hour, totally unscripted CNBC Pro strategy session with four great guests, the heads of the state of Hawaii and Teachers Retirement System of Texas, the CEO of Thornburg Asset Management, and the chief global strategist of Principal Global Investors. In this market, global chaos and uncertainty, the perfect time to hear from those four folks. That is at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. It is Monday live from the Milken Global Conference in Los Angeles. To register, go to cnbc.com slash pro slash talks. It'll be worth it. Trust me. We're back in a moment. All right, welcome back. It is a very busy day. So why don't we just provide you with kind of a nice little clean menu about what's happening today. All right, your first course, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. You're going to get the March durable goods numbers. Economists expecting a rebound from February's 2.1% decline. A bit later on, your amuse-bouche at 9 a.m., your S&P Case-Shiller New Home Sales Index. You've also got a lunchtime treat of consumer confidence out this morning. And Bank of America, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo holding their annual meetings today. It's sort of the breadbasket. One of the top issues on the table is executive pay. And, of course, tonight, your entree, you got a bundle of big-time earnings. Let's find out what Grace Capital founder and CEO Kate Faddis is watching. And she joins us now, one of our favorite guests. Kate, all these earnings rolling out. I mean, I don't even know where to begin, so I just kind of give up. What are you watching most closely? I'm looking at the bank's. Brian, I'm looking at the banks. I'm looking at what they're saying. I'm looking at our companies and what they are saying about the economy. So if you look at the earnings picture so far, it's actually not that bad. So whether we have a recession or not, we'll find out. But the companies that are reporting have been beating their numbers. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay optimistic. 
optimistic about the banks. And, you know, there's these companies that have these names, Kate, where it's like you can't tell what they do because they're so boring. And you're bringing one of them to us. This may be the most generic company name I've ever heard. City Holding Company. Honestly, City Holding Company could do anything. They could make trains. It could be a private equity firm. It's a, as you call it, your words, a very boring bank in West Virginia. But you like it. I like this bank so much. You know, I really love the CEO because he is super smart. Uh, uh, my buddy Ashok turned me on to this one. And so there's so many things I like about this bank. First of all, the thinking among banking is that you have to be big. Bigger is better. Big, big, big. Mr. CEO has told me you don't have to be big. If you look at this bank 20 years talk chart versus any of the big banks, beating it hands down. They've gone up 5x versus much, much less. Also, they're insulated from the economy. Things don't go too great and things don't go too badly. So they're in West Virginia, they're in Kentucky, they're in Virginia itself, a conventional bank. They stick to their knitting. They have a 3% yield, billion dollar market cap. This is a place you can hide. This is a place that's not going to get you in trouble. Based in the Wall Street hotbed of Charleston, West Virginia, General Chuck Yeager International Airport. All right. The other one that you like, these boring banks, this one's a little more, uh, a little bigger, right? It's out west, Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, uh, a bit of a different model, right? M- trying, to, trying to grow a little bit faster. So are there similarities between the two? Well, again, what I like about Silicon Valley is that it's completely divorced from a typical bank. You are right. You don't want to own a bank going into a recession because what happens? You have bad loans, you have um, non-payables, and things can get very bad. These guys are insulated because they're in Silicon Valley and they don't do the traditional banking. They make loans to private equity and VC firms when they've been funded. Bridge loans, that's primarily what they do. They also make loans to wine growers. They also make loans to new uh, startups, early stage, mid stage. They get warrants for some of these startup loans in, in lieu of interest. And when these warrants, they, they think they've lo- loaned money to hundreds of, of unicorns. When these warrants come due, 90% of them fail, 99% of them fail. But a couple of them that'll hit, you can get three, four, $500 million in fees. This bank has 45% of its revenue from fees. For a typical bank, they make money on the spread business and it's maybe at 25% from fees. So this bank is unique. It's different. If you think tech is the future, which I do, this is what you got to own. Although you do, you do got to hope, I imagine, Kate, that some of those bets that they place pay off, right? Those warrants can go to zero too if the companies go bust. Oh, 99% of the warrants go to zero, but all they need are one, two, three. And over the history they make hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, it's lumpy, but they make a lot of money. There are lots of other things about you, this. You just, Kate, you just inadvertently gave the dirty secret about every venture capitalist, right? They, they invest in 100 companies, one or two hit, and then they buy a $10 million home in Tahoe. Not a bad job if you can get it. Kate Fattison, Great <laughs> Capital, thank you very much. They have a terrific day. It's true, folks. Most go down. One or two hit. You got the boat. 
That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I will see you right here, same time tomorrow. A lot, of, lot going on. Futures slightly lower. Oil down just a touch. Squawk in the gang, picking it up next. Have a great day, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.